The Lions Share Indie Film Podcast. Um, today I have with me on the show David Ince. That's the writer and director of an exciting new indie film called What Waits in the Red. This is coming out of England. It's, it's had a very successful festival run recently. And we're here to talk about some of the planning that went into it and how he, he's managed to be so successful with such a small budget. Hello, David. How are you? I'm very well. How are you doing? Yeah, fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show. Now, in almost every indie film, there's going to be production challenges, and I understand that What Waits in the Red was no different. How did you handle some of those production challenges, specifically with getting people to come on board, bringing on cast and crew? We ended up shooting the movie in just 15 days, uh, and that, that added a phenomenal amount of pressure to everybody because we couldn't afford to make any mistakes. The actors had very, very few uh, takes, um, and very, time to, very little time to get into the scenes, and I think some days we were shooting six to ten pages of script <laughs> wow. um, in one day. It was, it was really a case of rolling up to, a, to the location, um, shooting as much as we could, as quickly as, could, as we could, and then just rolling on again. And if, if we missed anything, uh, if I wasn't happy with anything, you, you just had to go with it. You couldn't afford to, to stop. And I found that quite difficult because it's, it's my first movie. Um, I'm probably the least, one of the least experienced people actually on the crew, even though I'm, I'm kind of doing most of the roles. And I didn't really know what I was doing. And I, I, I felt that I was, um, very reliant, I was very reliant on the cast and crew around me to, to support me, which they all did really well. Uh, and very kindly, but it was hard. Timing was just hard. I think if we'd have had a lot more time, um, it would have made the process much, much easier. Yeah. But yeah, I think time. I mean, but money buys you time. At the end of the day, it's as simple as that. The bigger your budget, the more the more time you can spend trying to get it right. Yeah, which means you have more margin for error as well, right? Now. Yeah. Exactly. You said you were the least experienced person on the crew, but on your byline, it also says that you're the producer, cinematographer, gaffer, <laughs> editor, colorist. Um, yeah. Are these the skills you picked up along the way, or did you yeah. have you kind of been been building up to this thing, this introduction to indie film for a while? Yeah, no, it's uh, that, that's true. So I, I've made a bunch of a few short movies, but they've all been self-funded efforts. I think the most expensive one cost us about a hundred pounds. Um, I've only ever used uh, a DSLR until this movie. We should, we someone very kindly uh, lent us a red camera, so I've had to learn how to use that. Um, I've never worked with a sound recordist before or a professional makeup artist or a line producer or anything like that. Um, Post-production wise, the longest thing I'd ever edited was 17 minutes and this movie is 83. Uh, I used for the first time some actual professional grading software, so I've had to learn how to use that. I've had to learn how to plug everything into a broadcast quality monitor and learn about colour spaces and um, all that sort of thing to try and get the movie as, as accurate as I could here on my, my system here, so hopefully when you guys can to watch it, it's as close as it can be. I've never handled post-production that ships uh, timelines over to a sound designer. I've never worked with a sound designer or a composer before. Uh, so all of these things were, were completely new to me. Um, and it, it, it was, <laughs> it's been fun. It's been, it's been a hell of a learning curve. <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, one of the things that you know excited me right from the beginning about this project, but also about indie film in general, is just the ambition that always goes into it. Um, how hard people are willing to work to yep. get their visions on the screen. And from what I understand, uh, your vision and Tycho Pictures, it, it doesn't stop here. I understand you're, you're planning on eventually um, working on multi-million dollar budget projects with big production companies. Uh, is that right? That's absolutely right. So um, 
the odds are against you in making a movie that's going to do really well. Um, it's, it's just a simple case of, you know, when you start, you're very naive and you, you develop your craft over time. I think all creative and artistic endeavors are the same. So when you're working with very little money and you don't really know what you're doing, you know, there are limits to what you can, what you can expect. And what a lot of new filmmakers don't have is the project they're going to do next. Because if you do your first one well enough and people are interested and recognize that you've got talent, they want to know what you're going to do next. And if you, don't have another project if you don't don't know what you want to do um people can you know that can end your career almost in a way because you're you're right the way back to the beginning <laughs> yeah. you've got nothing to move on to so when we started putting together Tyco, um we've got a bunch of ideas that we wanted to make and all of them are they all sort of progress in terms of production complexity and uh, the, like the budget and the time that you would need to make them so what we did is identify the the six most uh, I don't want to, I suppose, commercial really, uh, the six most likely projects that we had that could get funded. And we've organized them and structured them so that we can, each one is a natural progression. So we started very, very small and we're hoping to work up to something that's really quite large. Um, if you know, And you just take one project, one project at a time. So we're already working on the next one now. I think that's great. You know, I talk to all kinds of people who, you know, they plan on making it big, but the plan, you know, the word plan doesn't mean very much. They don't actually have a, a plan on paper for how they're going to get there. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's wonderful that you do have, you know, not just a, a next step, but a step after that and after that. Does it look like what waits in the red is going to kick things off enough to, to move on to the next step for you guys? We're hoping so. Um, that's that's the that was really the main thing when we when we realised that we we weren't going to raise um, any real funding for the movie and we we were ended up going to do it on about seven thousand pounds. You have to be realistic, I think, with your with your expectations. We would love you know a, a national and international theatrical release, but you know is that likely for a movie with no famous people that cost just seven thousand pounds? Probably not. Um, could we make it onto DVD and pay-per-view? Yeah, um, that's that's quite likely, especially since it's been going quite well at the festival so far. So with that in mind, um, the movie looks like it's um, it's got real potential to be a success. Uh, it might not make very much money, but it doesn't have to in order for it to be considered profit-making because we spent so little making it. So when you come to trying to get investment for your next project, um, the biggest question that we had from investors with this one was quite simply that, you know, the plan looks great and you're of you know, we look great in, in the sense that um, everything was there and we look quite talented and, you know, there are people really willing to get involved with the script, but we've never delivered a feature film before and asking people to part with a lot of money when you've never done it before is a big, it's a big ask. You have to be realistic about what you can expect. So moving on to the next one, um, we've proved that we can do it and we've, we've proved that we can do it against the odds on a tiny budget and actually make it um hopefully hopefully make it a success so we stand a much better chance of getting investment in, into the next one now because we've we've done it once already that's um that's the hope anyway so what waits in the red was really uh, really conceived almost like a like a proof of concept in a way um we've put everything we've got into making this film and it's as good as it could possibly be considering our, our restraints and it's doing well people do seem to like it which is which is good um but now it's really it's really a case of convincing investors that you know this is what we did on seven thousand pounds. Just imagine what we could do with a million. Yeah, yeah, of course. Now I think investment can mean a lot of different things. Um, it seems to me like there are a lot of people who are very invested in the project um, to the point of maybe taking you know much smaller salaries than they were used to or working yeah. longer hours. How did you how did you pitch the cast and crew? How did you get them to be so invested in this project? 
really, to begin with, that just come down to the script and, um, strangely enough, how we how our website looks. Um, so we put out open cast and open crew calls uh, through a couple of, of online networks that are available here in the UK. Uh, I think Casting Call Pro and um, yeah, Cast Casting Call Casting Call Pro. And uh, we really just waited to see what kind of response we would get, whether anybody would um, would come back to us. We gave them a brief synopsis, but we linked through to the website. And there's very little, you know, there's not a huge amount of information on our website, but it does look um, relatively professional. And the people that got in touch, uh, we looked at their showreels and we selected a few that we wanted to meet that we thought were quite good. We were very selective about the people we wanted to meet. And instead of doing formal interviews or formal casting, um, we invited them for a coffee. <laughs> and we sat down with them for as long as we could just to have a general chat about the project. We sent them the script and um, everyone was hugely invested in the script. And then after just being realistic with them and, and laying out the constraints and uh, letting them know what the what life was going to be like on our, on our incredibly tight shoot, um, everyone was really on board. Do you know what I mean? They, they just, I think they bought into us because we weren't... Um, we weren't unrealistic about the project. They really liked the script. They recognised that we were professional in our approach, um, and we didn't we didn't lie to them about where we were in terms of our experience level or what we could pay them or you know what the what the experience was going forwards in terms of shooting under such tight conditions. They bought into us uh, very very much. You know, it was really great. We couldn't have asked for a better cast and crew. They've really been incredible, and hopefully now all of them are going to move on with us onto the next movie if we get if we get that chance. Um, they've all said they want to, so well, <laughs> that's yeah. really good. Well, that's the biggest uh, vote of confidence right there is that they want to work with you again. I think that's one of the, the biggest things that I wish people understood is that when you have a massive budget, um, you can afford to have creative differences. You can afford to have you know some people be less invested because, like we said, you have those margins of error. But yeah. in indie film, when you're working on such a tight budget and with such, you know, <laughs> you're just having to take crazy things into account. Uh, you really do need everyone to be on board. So I think that's brilliant, that approach of just uh, building relationships first and then yep. getting everyone's heads together and solving problems that way. I think that was very clever. I, I, I agree. I mean, we, we've talked about, Vanessa and I, um, who, who produced the movie, we talked about how we should approach uh, getting people on board. And one of the things that we've encountered with other sort of new, newbie filmmakers, uh, people in the same positions that we were in really, is that a lot of directors and producers feel like they're doing the cast and crew a favour. And that just simply isn't the case, especially uh, if people are actually trying to make a living in, in the industry, that you need your crew more than they need you as a director or, or a producer. You know, there are thousands of directors and producers out there trying to get projects off the ground. So going in with the belief that they're working for you and you're doing them a favor by giving them a chance on your movie is completely arse about face. It's not how it is at all. And you should be grateful to them for giving up their time and putting their faith in you and coming with you to work. So when we, when we met everybody, um, obviously we wanted to know that they could do the job, but we also approached all of the cast and crew decisions in terms of the team. And it was, we, we, we asked ourselves who was going to fit with the overall team. Who, who do we want to get up and, you know, spend two weeks living with essentially, uh, who's, whose face do you want to see in the morning? Who's going to be fun to work with? Who, who's going to pull in, pull, you know, jump in and, and do stuff that isn't necessarily in their job description because, you know, the production needs something done and everybody needs to pitch in and help out. So those, those questions were very much at the forefront of our minds when we decided who to go with. And, um, I think they really helped us 
choose the right people at the end of the day. There was quite a few people that we didn't pick um, simply because we just didn't feel that they would fit with the team very yeah. well. You know, they were very talented. Their, their skill level was very high, but we just thought, no, you know, they're they're not gonna they're not gonna be a team player, and that's what you need when you've got no money. You know, it's a real collaborative effort. It really is. Everyone there is doing you the favor, um, and that's the approach that we took, and it worked. Yeah, you hope that the whole is more than the sum of its parts. The other thing you said that that really struck me is just uh, having all of your your promotional materials be very professional. And yep. I think, you know, some some indie filmmakers do a great job with that and some struggle. And what that means is that there's a big disparity between how good a film is and how much publicity it gets. <laughs> I see and, you know, investigate a lot of movies that turn out to be not very good, but they attract my attention because they have really good promotion. You know, they hire PR firms or their social media content is good. And you kind of have to do that to get discovered. Just the, you know, the posting that you made on the Casting Call website, um, your own website, and then the social media accounts, that's that's how I found you, was just through Twitter, you know? Yeah. I think that's that's vitally important. Like, you can't you can't slack with the actual product, you know, the actual film that you're creating. But if you don't have an outlet, you know, if you don't have channels to promote it on, um, what good is a brilliant film if nobody's going to watch it in the end? I, I agree. And we're, we're both, um, in terms of like Vanessa and I, we're, we're kind of lucky in a couple of ways, but we're a little bit unlucky in others. Um, my background is graphic design. And photography so I can produce materials to support the movie uh, without having to go out and find find money to sort of pay pay firm like design firms and stuff to do that uh, Vanessa is incredibly hot on um, the written content and the, the sort of grammatical content so that the, the words and everything else are very very well produced and polished and there's no errors and, and that kind of stuff because a lot of material gets produced you have to write a lot of stuff and it's mm. very easy for errors to creep in and that just undermines your your professionality, I think, if, if there are errors there and people reading it pick up on them. But the bit where we're not so great is um, is on the social media side of things. Neither of us have a very big social media footprint. It's not something that we've done a huge amount of in the past, and um, it's really something that we're just that we're just trying to learn how to do. Uh, and that's that's been that's been an interesting journey, and it's it's one that's very much that we're very much at the beginning with. Um, so it's like you know you, you found us. That's really thrilling that you have. <laughs> you know we're really really amazed that you have, and that's really good. So, but it's a slow for for us. The social media side of things is very slow, and it's taking a while for us to really build build that up because we're having to learn it as we go. Well, out of everything, that's I'd say the easiest to learn. I think honestly, the reason why I found you is because you used the probably like the indie film hashtag. Like something as small right. as a hashtag can get you a ton more exposure. Um, right. And it, it wasn't just that I saw you because I saw lots of, I, you know, I see lots of different projects every day. It was, like you said, that, uh, uh, you know, the the actual material was pretty good. So I do have just kind of one more question about yourself and your background. Um, you're you're a best-selling author and you've, you've published books before. Um, yeah. Did that come before your interest in film or... How, how does that? How does your background as an author help you in screenwriting and in you know directing and doing all the other things you've done for What Waits in the Red? Sure. Um, well, I mean, stories really have been my thing since I was a kid. Uh, movies and books. It's always been those those two things have been that my whole life. Um, I fell into literature very very young as a child. Uh, I think mostly for escapism. You know, life was kind of dull. Family was very ordinary, and books offered uh, offered an outlet to that. And then movies. Um, when, you know, we find I can remember the day we got a video recorder for the first time and, and stuff like that. So books and films have always been there. Uh, I've always been artistic, I guess. I used to do a lot of drawing as a kid and I followed um, 
I went to art college and become a graphic designer. I didn't really think about writing very much until I was about 20, 21, something like that. And when the idea first popped, because I'd always had ideas for stories, and in in my mind they were always framed as, um, you know, wouldn't it be good when Stephen King writes a book like this or Mm. something like that? And it wasn't until I was in my early 20s that I thought, well, maybe I could have a go at writing writing that book. And once I started, uh, I loved it. I mean, writing is my my biggest thing, uh, I write every day, you know, I can't, I can't leave it alone, I'm always working on stuff, and trying to get the novels published has been a long, a long struggle, and I have a small, uh, small indie publisher over here, and the book that come, book that's out at the moment, Breeze, uh, I think that was published in 2015, I think, and oddly, it topped, um, topped one of the charts in Canada, uh, in January, <laughs> which is, which is very surprising, it's very strange, so, uh, that's all been going okay, um, this movie, What Waits in the Red, is based on a novel that's coming out over here in September. And in terms of the writing process and adapting it, it's it's kind of hard. Writing a novel, in a way, is far easier, I think, than writing a screenplay because you've got far more license to roam around and get inside your characters. A screenplay is a very boiled-down uh, sort of one-perspective piece of work, and it's it's just part of a process. It's not a, it's not a finished product by itself. So... To adapt the book, I did the first pass and, and wrote most of the script, but I was very lucky to work with Vanessa and um, our line producer on First AD, Michelle, who are both very, very practical storytellers and very, very sort of realistic, and they, they tore the script to pieces, basically. And over many, many drafts, we managed to boil it down to 83 pages and, and get something that we could realistically shoot. Uh, but writing and storytelling is just, um, they're all part of the same process. I don't i do not distinguish much between writing a script and directing and then editing because although the tools and technology is obviously very different, you're still just trying to tell the story. You're still looking at what motivates a character. You're still looking at the theme that binds it all together, you know. Uh, yeah. We've been speaking <laughs> with uh, David Ince. He's the writer and director of What Waits in the Red. Uh, it's an English independent film. They recently won the Festival Director's Choice Award in London. Um, if you'd like to check out more, you can follow our page at Lion Share Pod on Twitter. Um, we'll continue to give updates about the movie. And then, David, where can audiences watch this? Is there any kind of distribution deal yet, or where should they look? There, there isn't yet, but um, we're playing at the Nice International Film Festival on, uh, I think, let me just check, I think it's the 17th of May. Um, if anyone is in, is uh, heading over towards Cannes or anything like that, they can come and see our movie at Nice. And we're going to be playing in Vegas as well in, at the Action on Film Festival will be in well in August. Okay, fantastic. I recommend it. I think it looks like a fantastic project. Thanks, David. Thank you very much. Thank you. Cheers.